Welcome to Rise Seattle Podcast, a podcast about Seattle, the people, their stories, and Seattle's future. Here's your hosts, Phil Greeley and Tyler Davis-Jones. Welcome to the Rise Seattle Podcast. I'm Tyler. And I am Phil, and I'm super stoked about our guest today, Tyler. We, um, Geraldine DeRoyter. DeRoyter. I say DeRoyter. Uh, yeah. She says DeRoyter. She's probably right. Podcast host rule number one is say your guest name correctly. Say your guest you name. That. <laughs> well, we're not professionals. So, <laughs> That's true. As you know. No, but so we had Rand Fishkin on from Moz a few weeks ago. And afterwards, we were asking, we always ask our guests, hey, who else do you know that would like to be on our show? And he's, he sort of uh, humbly offered up his wife, who just came out with a new book yes. uh, as a potential guest. And we discovered everything that is Geraldine, and we love her to death. Yes. And so we were thrilled to talk with her. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We talk about politics. We talk about, uh, psh, I mean, politics, right? Uh, we talk about life in general in Seattle, her hopes, her dreams, what it's like to write a book, um, what it's like to travel all over the world, because she is a travel writer and blogger at everywhereist.com. Um, it was just a really great episode. She's a delight. Uh, this is a longer episode, but it's because we dove so deep. So uh, hoping that folks who end up listening just really dive in and hear the real side of Geraldine. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And so uh, we are going to give away, with her help, three of her books. So her book uh, is called All Over the Place, Adventures in Travel, True Love, and Petty Theft. And essentially, uh, she's been described as a travel blogger and a travel author, but self-describes herself as sort of like, this is how not to travel. I sort of make a fool of myself or do things poorly all over the, all over the globe as, as I travel around. Yeah, so. I believe it was, uh, it was the anti-Rick Steves was right. dropped at one point. So if you're going the Rick Steves route with lots of heavy information, then Geraldine's not the uh, way to go. But if you want humor um, and puking. <laughs> Geraldine's definitely the person to uh, to check out. Totally. So. so visit our Facebook page, The Rise Seattle uh, on Facebook. We will um, we'll tell you, basically, if you share this episode on Facebook in any form or fashion and, um, and tag us, tag The Rise Seattle on Facebook, we will enter you in a, into a contest to get one of her books for free. So. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy this episode. Well, welcome everybody. This is Tyler. And I'm Phil. And today we are here with Geraldine DeRuder. Did I say that right? No. How do we say it? That's okay. <laughs> it is okay. I didn't learn to say it till I was 12. Okay. It's DeRuyter. So DeRuyter. DeRuyter. Yeah. Geraldine DeRuyter. She's an acclaimed author. Um, go and check out her book. It is amazing. She's a world-renowned public speaker. She's a voice behind the award-winning Everywhereist blog. Um, and your website says that you find it very difficult to self-promote. So <laughs> I'm going to promote for you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, which will make it a little easier on you. Uh, Every, Everywhereist has actually garnered, uh, garnered the attention of Time Magazine, uh, which they described it as constantly clever. Forbes Magazine said, uh, have listed Geraldine's uh, work, her blog, as one of the top 10 lifestyle blogs or websites for women for three consecutive years. And The Independent included her on their list of 50 best travel websites. Basically, what we're saying is Geraldine's a big deal, and we're really thankful <laughs> it's for true. being here. So. Oh, thanks. 
So we had your husband Rand on a few episodes ago, and at the end he said, well, you know, not to be self-promotional, but my wife just came out with a book. And so we looked you up, and I looked you up. Since then, you're my favorite follow on Twitter. Oh, thanks. By far. <laughs> but hands down. And there's always some level of anxiety before an episode, but before we record, but I was telling Tyler, like, you're making me the most nervous because you're the, you're like, super witty and... Super smart, and you're, clever. You're what so. we like to I can I can put that at ease really, really <laughs> quickly. I really can, so don't worry. You you're you're I I look at your stuff and I'm like I don't know what the kids say the word woke and I feel like you're the most woke person we have had on this podcast. Wow, so, yeah. I. Don't feel like I deserve. I will take that praise, but I don't feel like I deserve that at all. But uh, thank you. Well, thanks yeah. for being here. Either way. So let's provide a little context. Um, you are you were born and raised in Seattle, is that I correct? I was, yeah. And what neighborhood do you call home now? Uh, so right now we're in Capitol Hill. Okay. But when I was very, very small, we lived further north. So we were in Ballard and Magnolia. Okay. But okay. then I've bounced around a lot. So I bounced around uh, from Seattle. We lived in Florida for a few years. And then when we came back, Ballard was unaffordable, so we mm. had to move uh, down south. So I went to Mount Rainier High School, which, if you're curious where it is, as you are flying into Seattle and you are going over, like, you can see rooftops and you think, who are these poor people who <laughs> live there? Mm. That is where my mother lives, and that is where my high school is. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So what was it like growing up in the Mount? Baker region. Mount, Ra no. Mount, Mount Rainier. Did I say Mount Baker? Wow. Yeah, no. So it's Mount, early. Mount Baker is way nicer than uh, yes. Des Moines, which is where I Des was. Des Moines, okay. Um, Des Moines, it's noisy, right? Because you are literally under the flight path. Mm. Uh, so it was a little noisy. My high school experience was... Uh, it was fine. I had some great teachers. It was a little bit marred towards the end of my high school experience when uh, the Mary Kay Letourneau scandal came mm. out, and that was our school district. So her, I believe he is her now ex-husband, uh, but he was her victim, <laughs> um, oh uh, went to my high school briefly. He Whoa. and I did not overlap, though. I'm a Whoa. few years older than him. I totally buried that story in my memory. I did forgot you? all about it, but now yeah. it's all flooding back. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was crazy. It was a very, it was a, it was a horrifying story. Yeah. Wow. And that happened in my school district. So growing up uh, in that region, like what, did you always want to be an author? Was it, or a writer? Uh, yeah, I would yeah. say I, I found a letter that I wrote myself in the fourth grade. Uh, and so we were supposed to write, we were supposed to write to our future selves. And so we wrote to us two years in the future. Mm. So it, I got it in the sixth grade and it was from my fourth grade self and it was scolding me. And it basically said, I hope you've at least finished a rough draft of your novel. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Whoa, damn. Yeah. In fourth grade. Yeah. Fourth grade me was a hard ass. That's great. Yeah. Geraldine. I know. Throwing down. She would be infuriated. She'd be like, it wow. took you how long to get a book done? <laughs> the drive that's uh, no. so impressive it's weird I, it like petered off like it, it lasted up until i would say early college and then i discovered marijuana and it just uh, all went downhill mm. but you thought you were creative the things that you were writing you're like this is brilliant oh i um, I, I mean as a fourth grader yeah i thought i thought my stories were yeah. were, were really top notch <laughs> yeah that's funny okay so uh What's different from when you grew up here in Seattle um, to nowadays? 
paint the picture there? Oh, gosh. I would say the extreme influx of wealth. And I think, I think just money, right? Like there was, my family came here in the late seventies, early eighties. My mother actually came over when she was pregnant with me from Italy. Um, so my mom, that's kind of always been my, my bear, my kind of marker for how long my mom's been in the country is however old I am. Mm. Um, and you know, when we first came to Seattle, it was really sleepy. Mm. It was this, you know, it was 1980. It was a small town. Um, I remember there was no traffic. Mm. And my mother sold a six bedroom. You guys will appreciate this because you're real estate agents. Uh, sold a, I think it was five or six bedroom craftsman house in Seattle, in Ballard, for $63,000. My aunt and uncle sold their house on the Magnolia Bluffs for $70,000 when we left Seattle. I mean, and I look at those houses now and I think they're like 1.2, So, um, So it has, I think that has been a crazy shift to watch. Um, And it has, the city's become a lot bigger, but it's become a lot whiter. Mm. Um, you know, it was never particularly diverse, but mm-hmm. I, I do see, I do see, it's just, I'm looking around and I'm like, it's becoming a city of rich white people. Mm. And I say this as a white person with like an okay, like, like my, like an above middle-class income. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of feels And looking bit, for a house as well. And uh, looking for yeah. a house right now. Yeah. yeah. And you know, my husband and I are having these discussions that to me are like, I had a, like my mom was a single mom. Um, and you know, she had two kids and she took care of her parents and she was an immigrant and I'm sitting here talking to my husband and I'm like, wow, this house is $700,000. That's so affordable. What's wrong with it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what are you, mm-hmm. like, what, what are the words that are coming out of my mouth? Mm-hmm. Right. So I would say that was, that was one of the biggest changes to just see, you know, Seattle's become what I think is happening to a lot of cities, right? I think it happened to San Francisco. I think it's happening to Portland. It's mm-hmm. it's happening all along the coast. So it's what happens when you have a lot of tech money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we're just trying to avoid the mistakes that other towns have made right mm-hmm. now. I think we're trying not to be another San Francisco. Do you think it'll happen? I hope we avoid it. I really do. Um when you say, what are, what are we trying to avoid? I think San Francisco is, I, I think for one thing, uh, poor people are getting pushed out mm. of the city. Um, and I think that it is becoming a very transactional city. It's all about, you know, how much did your startup sell for or how mm-hmm. much investment did you get? And I've actually, I've had friends who have moved down there and one of them, uh, he's, he's a guy, he's single, he is what I would describe as a total catch. Uh, and he said he was at a party and a, a woman was talking to him and literally the first question out of her mouth was, how much, like, how much VC did you get? And he was like, oh, okay, that's, that <laughs> makes me profoundly uncomfortable. And he's mm. like, and that's not out of the realm of normal. So I think that there's just... There's a huge focus on money, and part of the reason there is is because you need it to survive in this city. Mm. Um, and so I'm hoping that we, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping we find a way to manage to avoid it, but I don't know how. I really don't. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's the most difficult part of this conversation is because, I mean, you can provide low-income housing, um, but there's still high-income earners around those mm-hmm. low-income, and then where does the middle class go, right? Where, right. where do There's tons of contractor jobs here, but where do they live? Are they... Are they now moving all the way up to like Kenmore and mm-hmm. well, Kenmore's even gotten crazy expensive. Um, no, so I mean you uh, have to go far. Yeah, you got to go you far. Go yeah, far Edmonds or even and Everett. We don't have a lot of low income housing yeah. here. You know, we there was a there are the low income housings kind of kind of in uh, the Yesler area, mm-hmm. sort of south of downtown. And that housing was built in the, I want to say the 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. And it was not intended to be a permanent housing. And it's been there for 80 years now. Um, and now they're talking about tearing it down because somebody realized that real estate is worth a ton. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then it, you know, and there is a discussion, well, where are you going to to put the people that live there? And it's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll find a place for them. Yeah, you're going to find a place for them outside of the city, mm-hmm. right? Like, so it... It alarms me. It's weird to say that. Like, it alarms me, and I'm part of the problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of just seems, though, that, like, so I agree with everything you're saying, and we need, like, it would be great to have Seattle be Seattle and not be San Francisco, but it seems like we're just on this path that we can't stop. Yeah, it feels preordained. Yeah. yeah. It does feel preordained. I don't know what's going to happen either. Well, and it's no, I mean, no one wants to be on the wrong side of history, right? No one, no one wants to look back and, but at the same time, you also like Phil and I talk about this all the time. We're so glad that we bought when we did. How long ago did you guys buy? So so I bought December, 2015 in Wedgwood Mm. and his was 2014 in Ballard. And like, we've seen our, our equity just skyrocketed and you know, I, I couldn't afford the home that I live in today, yeah. which is crazy to say, but like it's I literally years. couldn't qualify yeah. for the same home that I own. Yeah. So I get that. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. part of my, that's part of like, I, I will say that like this drive, like we're looking for a home now. Part of that drive is because I am petrified. Mm-hmm. I am scared out of my mind. And right. that is a terror. Like I can't, mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it is like for people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really scary right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just breaks my heart. Also, I'm a I'm I'm supposed to be a humor writer, and I feel like I'm just dooming. No, no, no. Right this now. is great. This is great. So, I mean, this is a part. This is what the podcast was originated for. Is like because you are a humor writer, but this is like the real side of the city that you live in right. today. So I appreciate that. We don't. We're not going to. Con- consistently right, right, just talk right, about that right. let's talk about something more but no i mean we we um, we can too because i i realize i'm i'm lucky right i have mm-hmm. a husband who you know writing does not really pay the bills my husband does mm-hmm. um and you know we're we don't have kids so we we have a lot fewer expenses than a lot of other people mm-hmm. um i have very dear friends who you know are in like i have a friend who works at Bastier, and she has uh, a one bedroom it's it's barely bigger than a studio and i think she's paying close to a thousand dollars a month and mm-hmm. she's like i can't afford this city anymore so yeah it's tough mm. right well let's um 
on a slightly brighter topic, let's shift to your writing. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so you you just came out with a book all over the place, Adventures in Travel, True Love, and Petty Theft. Yes. <laughs> and but I think the the book had a genesis a long ago, right? At the, the beginning of your blog. It did. Yeah. So I was laid off in 2008. Um, which is terrible. It was during the recession. It was not a great time to right. to be laid off. I think something like um, three million people lost their jobs that oh, year. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So I was on vacation in in Italy, um, and I had planned the vacation before the layoffs. Mm. Uh, and so I got I got basically a text from a coworker that said, "We are out of a job." And I was like, "Okay, who's we?" And he said, "You, me, and basically everyone in the office is out of a job." I was like, "All right." Okay. Um, so then I, I, I like to say, you know, I, I took advantage of the eight hour time difference. And because it was late, late afternoon, early evening, I had already had the presence of mind to be drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but from there kind of needed to figure out what to do. And I came back to Seattle and applied for a bunch of jobs and found myself woefully unqualified for everything. Um, and I did a little bit of freelancing and I wasn't sure what to do and my unemployment ran out. Um, and you know, I feel really fortunate. My husband was in a position where his company was doing a lot better. Um, and I don't know, Rand might've, it it sounds like he was on a a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, he might've talked about the early Rocky start of his, did he or did he? Yeah. I mean, we, we talked more about the, uh, the pain of being someone who starts a company then gets VC money, kind of similar to what his book is going to be about. Um, but, uh, and, and he alluded to the beginning stages of a family um, run operation. Yeah. Yeah. So he, when the company started and he'll talk about it and he talks about it in his book, uh, when he started his company, they, basically accrued about half a million in debt. And most of that was under his name Mm. personally. So he, so I supported him in kind of the early days on like not a big salary. We lived in this tiny uh, one bedroom apartment um, that we paid at the time. It seemed astronomical, but we paid $750 a month for And I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, how, A, how did we afford it? And B, how did we ever think that was a lot? Um, But that's what Seattle is. And so he, so I, I paid the bills initially. And then when I was laid off, he was like, Hey, let's, let's switch roles for a bit. Um, And by then he was in a position to be able to, to do that. So he asked me if I wanted to travel with him because he was traveling so much for work. And I said, well, sure, I'll stick to that for a couple of weeks. Um, and it turned into years. And wow. I started writing the blog initially just as a, I was like, well, I'll keep this online portfolio and and work will come through that way. Uh, and, and then it turned into its own beast. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So you're so you so he would travel around the world speaking. Yes. And you're essentially tagging along and getting Bas- to play while he's working. Basically, yeah. So he um we realized essentially the only thing we would have to cover was a plane ticket. Um and then I could, you know, he was getting his plane tickets and his uh hotels covered by the conferences. Uh so I just started going with him just to kind of see and I was like, well, I'll I'll find some stuff to write about and I'll sell those articles and I'll see where it goes. Um 
And after a while, you know, I started the blog and at first I thought it will be this very, it'll be a very authoritative blog. Like I will be an expert and I will pretend that I know what I was doing. (laughs) Um, And after a few weeks, I realized like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I have Mm. no idea how to write a travel blog. Like I'm probably the least qualified person on the planet to write a travel blog. Uh, and at some point, I was like, maybe that's my angle. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it sort of became a you know, watch as I am a disaster across <laughs> multiple continents uh, and see what happens. And it, you know, it ended up working. I think people read it because it makes them feel better about themselves. They're right. like, wow, at least I didn't do that. So. Right. It's like the the anti Rick Steves, basically. I mean, yeah. that is that is. That is what I think the ethos of the okay. entire blog cool. is. Although I will, so I pick on Rick Steves a lot in the book. Actually, nice. yeah, okay. I do pick on him. I think in a in an early draft, I described in the book itself, I describe him as a toe with glasses. I think I call him a substitute math teacher, <laughs> uh, scooter from the Muppets. Like I, just, I loved your line about Europe through the back door. Oh yeah, that I felt that it was wrong to call something Europe through the back door and then not have the decency to make it pornographic. Yeah. <laughs> Missed opportunity. It did, and that annoyed me. Um, and I will say, Rick Steves is actually a lovely. Like I haven't met him, but he's yeah. a lovely human being. Like yeah. he just donated a huge uh, yeah for apartment low building, income, yeah. Low income housing, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think it was like a four million dollar building. And he, mm-hmm. it's primarily for um, women who are leaving uh, abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. So like he is, he is doing wonderful work. And I completely drag on him mm-hmm. in this book because he is competent at his chosen profession and I am not, <laughs> which is so petty. Uh, so you're the really the villain in the story is I you, am, potentially. I yeah. am. It is, told, it is basically like wicked. Like it is told from the perspective of the antagonist. I like it. That's great. Love Wicked, by the way. Oh, gosh. Saw it in London. So good. Did you? I never yeah. saw it. Oh, it's I, so we good. We missed it. Yeah. Um, okay. So it sounds like, I mean, even even in the midst of this, um, uh, you're the, um, oh, I don't have life figured out, you know, kind of the Sex in the City style. Uh, oh, God. Like, like, <laughs> no, no, no. Just saying, like, in, I'm leaving. No, 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 no. But I, I'm trying to think of a, of a character. Like, uh, who's uh, maybe is it Bridget Jones? I, I don't know. I don't know these. I mean, so, like, it comes up a lot, right? Like, there is this charming romantic comedy female lead right. who Lorelei. doesn't know who yeah. doesn't know what she's doing. There you go. And I'm like, that is not me because they do it in a way that is, like, charming and lovely and I do it in a way that is frightening and disastrous and occasionally funny uh, so I suffer like I suffer from terrible motion sickness like mm. awful awful wow. motion sickness to the point where you know I'm, I'm a woman in her mid to late I'm in a woman in her late 30s like let's be <laughs> honest um, and I'm happily married and I throw up all the time and I don't drink. Mm. So everyone constantly thinks I'm pregnant. Mm. And it's like, no, I actually just have inner ear issues. Uh. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not it's not the cute, whoops, my bag spilled open and now there's tampons everywhere. It's more like we need to pull the car over so I can throw up <laughs> again. Um, and it's gotten to the point where like my friends are are 
horrible people. I say this with love. Uh, so I've, there's like a series of photos of me in various foreign countries, like throwing up. Right. Um, which okay. exists on okay. the internet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. Well. we'll so we'll, it's not. We, we won't. We won't say sex in the city. But, <laughs> but I think. I think Lorelai Gilmore is is the perfect. Is I mean the perfect player. And anyways. I, I'm that. I'm reading her book right now. I'm reading Lauren Graham's book right now, and I, I would disagree because she is like this statuesque, composed woman. <laughs> um, but sure, I mean, there's no video to this, so sure, let's right, let people think. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so I I see this this image that again I think is um, it's appealing and it's real and it's honest, it's authentic, um, and I I imagine you're probably traveling every week and you're in Italy and you're in London and you know so how often are you actually traveling um we're probably on the road uh, about a third of the year okay yeah so okay. between 100 and 120 days a year and are you ever traveling i mean is it all just with rand or are you traveling like hey i'm going to go do this because i have an idea for a blog for the most part it is with rand on occasion i might go solo somewhere if i think um mm -hmm. If I think there's a story, or if there's something I kind of want to pursue, um, I went to I went to Southeast Asia with a friend a few years ago uh, in what I thought would be a portion of the book, um, but we ended up changing the narrative so that it did just focus on my travels with Rand. Okay. Um, so yeah, for the most part, for the most part though, it is with him. Uh, okay. Even though he's usually busy, so I don't. I don't tour the city with him. It's more I'm in the airport with him. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever not want to travel? Are there times where you're like, oh, all the time? Okay. Like, no, I am like, I cannot. That sounds awful. It's like, yeah, I travel the world and I hate it. Um, I don't, I don't dislike travel, but I am so woefully bad at it and I am so good at staying home and watching TV. Yeah. So that that is really like the, those are the two kind of opposing forces. Um, and when, you know, we'll be on the road and I'll, you know, I'll be lying on the floor of a hotel room after throwing up um, right. <laughs> numerous times. Like, it, I can't even express to you how often it happens. Um, so I'll be, I'll be lying on the ground sick um, and I'll just look around. I'm like, I don't want to travel anymore. I just want to stay home. And he's like, I I know, but you've kind of built a career around this now. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to write about, I want to go to pastry school. And he's like, okay, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> like, I just go start coming up with these ideas. I want to write a movie review blog. He's like, okay, okay. <laughs> so, oh, man, that's good. So yeah. how did you go from blog to book? Was it the content from the blog, did that make it into the book? Um, and can I preface this? Yeah. Because Phil secretly has a book inside him somewhere and okay. he wants to write one Everybody of these days. Does, right? No, I think a Phil. lot of people do, but, He's uh, but such I a good see writer. the twinkle. I see the twinkle yes. in your eye. Um, no, so I'm, I love talking about this. Uh, so, and it sounds like you had Andrea Dunlop we did, on your yeah. show, um, who is incredibly prolific. Like she is... She's a machine, it she sounds is like. A, she is a machine, yeah. yeah. Like she, she just released a novella. Her first book came out, I want to say... Two years ago, she's got another book coming out. Uh, this year or something. Is it this year? I think it's this year. Um, and so she she's on the next level if you want to talk productivity. But in terms of blog to book, uh, I 
I hated clip shows when I was a kid. Do you remember when you'd be watching a TV show you really liked and all of the episode was flashback clips oh, from right, other right, right. episodes? Mm-hmm. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air did that, I feel like. I think they did. The Simpsons did it a couple times. Um, and we, it, we did it actually as our last uh, Drew Vesta episode. It was, it was a, a look back <laughs> at our favorite episodes and we played little clips. So we totally oh, did that too. God. You can hate we'll on delete us. it right fine. now. We'll delete it. I mean, yeah. here's the I can't, I could never handle clip shows. Uh-huh. Um, at all. I need, I need like a full story. And so I picked up a few books by bloggers. And if I followed their blogs very religiously, the book felt like a clip show Mm. because they had pulled so much content from it. So the one thing I was determined not to do was have, was repurpose any content. Mm. So the book is virtually, I say virtually because there might be, there's like a snippet from one blog post in it. Um, but the book is is all new content. Uh, and what I found is, yeah, writing a blog is different from writing a book. And as my editor said, she goes, you know, I could actually tell towards the end of your manuscript where you figured out how to write a book. Mm. And that's the worst part. The only way to figure out how to write a book is to write a book. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh. Um, so the problem that I had is blog posts are very insular right? You start it and you end it within a thousand words. And if you need any backstory, you link to other posts. And if you need to illustrate anything, you can literally illustrate it or you can put, uh, you can put pictures in there and it makes it, and there you have it. Um, and a book, you know, a chapter is not an insular thing. It needs to cor- connect to the rest of the story. Right. Uh, so for me, finding that overarching narrative was was kind of the difficult part, and it wasn't there. So I had to weave. Essentially, I had all of these disparate entities of chapters, right? Because I'm so used to doing blog posts, so each one kind of existed like a blog post. And I had to I had to weave together that narrative mm. and I had to weave together some cohesiveness mm-hmm. around it. And that was very foreign to me. And it also, if you think about it, books are books are sprawling. Mm-hmm. And if you start to write and edit one, you forget what you've taken out mm-hmm. and you forget what you've put back in and you forget what you've already explained. And so seeing this holistic kind of picture uh, was was challenging. That being said, um, I don't know that it was the hardest part about writing a book. Like, I don't know that writing the book is the hardest part about putting a book out into the world. What's the hardest part? I would say the promotional part. Um, yeah. That mm-hmm. is terrifying. Um, and it sounds really trite. And it, I haven't, I haven't, shared that with a lot of people because most, you know, most people who want to write are like, screw you. Like, mm. all I want to do is get published and now you're complaining because you have to talk about your book. Uh, but I think it is very counterintuitive to the soul of most writers. We're mm. like, we put it out there and then we're like, oh God, okay, there it is. Now you're I can't tell You're open to criticism anybody. now? Is that basically it? Or I've always, you know, I think having a blog, I've always been open to criticism. What I think the difference is, is when you are being self-promotional, you kind of have to do the the opposite of that, right? Like most writers are like, yeah, it's crap. I know. I know it's crap. And now you have to say, no, I know Mm -hmm. it's good. And that is a very difficult thing. And it's a lot harder than that. Then, uh, yeah, it's a lot harder than just saying, oh, it's, it's terrible. 
So when you have you, so you're you're traveling from roughly 2008, 2009 until mm-hmm. present, mm-hmm. and you have all these stories in your head, right? Mm-hmm. All these vignettes that you have to weave together and do a narrative. You're able to take a maybe at the time a fairly benign road trip to Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh-huh. and a and like in the book, it comes out as this very poignant moment in your life. Like, do you know at that point in time that these stories are? Um, part of this grand narrative of your life? Or are you sort of reflecting back on them? And um, I think it is a bit of reflection. Yeah, I, I think that's true of a lot of things. I think you you never go into you never go into a situation that's poignant thinking this is going to be poignant, true. right? Yeah. And and when you do, it kind of it kind of uh, loses that a bit. You know, the more. The more we we try and emphasize a moment like this is one of the most important moments of your life, like it sort of ceases to be that. And I think uh, I think the true like kind of significant moments are the ones that sneak up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that definitely was like I realized when we were driving back from Green Bay, and it's in the book. It just kind of was this this moment in my marriage, um, like things had not been going well, and it was kind of this moment where I think we started to turn things around, like my husband and I read the book. Uh, and so <laughs> and and so I realized there was something significant about it at the time, but then looking back, I was like, you know, I was able to see how we changed direction at that point. Mm. So I had hindsight on my side, side right. as well. And that would be something That's you great. can't see in the moment necessarily. No. That comes with time, yeah. No, and I, I always, I have what I describe as like a delayed emotional reaction to mm. things. Like I will, I will go see a movie. I, I remember it happened to me in, in high school. I was watching, um, I think I was watching Carlito's Way. Mm. Um, and uh, I'm Italian, so I'm drawn to like gangster films. Okay, gotcha. Um, and mobster films. So I was watching Carlito's Way, uh, although in that Pacino actually plays, he's, he's not Italian. He plays a Puerto Rican, I believe. Um, and at the end of it, like I was watching it with my mom and she got kind of emotional and I was like, what? Like, it's a movie. And I kind of chastised her. Um, and then about an hour later, something happened and I just burst out crying. Oh, wow. So I have a very delayed reaction to things. So I, and, and that happens in my own life. Like I will, I will be happy about something like a day after it happened. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me, I want to talk about Steve real quick. Yeah. Can we talk about Steve? Sure. Talk, and delayed reactions. Talk about that one. Yeah. yeah. So you, in 2012, I think it was. Yes. You were diagnosed with uh, with a brain tumor. Yeah. And you came to affectionately or not affectionately call, call him Steve, correct? Yeah. So it's, it's really, it's been almost exactly five years, actually, in 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 a week. I think in a week we'll, we'll hit the five-year anniversary of my brain surgery. Um, on the 27th or the 28th of this month. And I, um, it's funny because I don't actually, a friend of mine told me he doesn't believe in the anthropomorphization of of cancer or illnesses or brain tumors. Um, and he actually has brain cancer hmm. and told me this. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And he said, because here's the thing. He goes, if I say I'm fighting cancer, he's like, you know, I am eventually going to die from this. So what does that mean? Does that mean that I have lost the fight? Does mm. that mean I didn't fight hard enough? He goes, that's not what's going on. Like, I am going through treatment. I am doing my best to keep myself healthy. But if we start to describe it as a fight, we're imposing more control than we have over the situation and mm. then we're imposing blame too. 
And I thought that was really enlightening. Um, and so I named it Steve, but I never refer to it as that. But what I find is great about it is that it makes other people very comfortable in bringing mm. it up. And and so it's a lot easier to ask, how's Steve, than can we talk about your brain too much? Mm -hmm. right. And I that has been that has been a very I think positive outcome out of all of it. For me, like I do, I do call it my brain tumor. Um, and there have been a few times where people have come up to me and said, Hey, can we talk about Steve? And I'm like, yeah, Steve who? Yeah. Like which Steve? There are many. Um, so it, it takes me a minute. But yeah, I'm 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 happy to talk about it. I still have a dent in if you want to, I guess it won't translate well to podcast, but you can feel the dent in my skull. If you want. Do it. Can I? Yeah. It's right. Oh, I want to do it too. It's right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a good dent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can actually, I, you know, it's easy because there's a small crowd. If there's a lot of people, I'm like, no, this isn't going to work. Because yes. it will, after the end, it will sort of feel sensitive. Yeah. Um, so I do have a, a, a divot and I think the, the bone has grown back uh -huh. now, but it's grown back in this divot. Um, but right afterward, I was like, uh, uh, this is going to be a rambling story, but I'll That's tell great. it. Okay, so we enjoy rambling. Um, yeah, so just to give some background, I was getting headaches, um, and I'm from a very hypochondriac sort of family, so I'm like, it's nothing, it's nothing. And Rand said, no, you're getting headaches every day, and I was like, everybody gets headaches, and he's like, no, not every day. Go to a doctor. Um, and my doctor is this wonderful woman um, who is very calm and rational, and she said. I don't think this is anything, but let's get it checked out for peace of mind. And it came back as a brain tumor. And I think I traumatized the poor woman because now anytime I tell her anything bothers me, she's like, we're going to get you a bunch of scans. <laughs> um, so they didn't know, they did not know what my tumor was. It turned out to be a pilocytic astrocytoma, which is a non-cancerous sort of tumor, um, which is great. Uh, but they don't know what most brain tumors are until they actually go in and biopsy mm. them. Um, and so they were like, it could be cancer. We don't know. And also there are some brain tumors that kill you, even if they're not technically cancer. And I was like, this is fun. Is that just because of the pressure on the brain or just, just uh, yeah, just, they, they just kind of start to grow and, and become unmanageable. And mm -hmm. I think actually, uh, she was a local newscaster, Kathy Gertzen. Mm -hmm passed away. And I don't believe, I think technically, I could be wrong, but I think technically her tumors were not, were non-cancerous. Mm. And she, so I was a journalism major. Uh, she was actually an idol of mine and she passed away the same summer that I had my brain surgery. Whoa. Um, so, so I, so they, they find a tumor and they, they're like, well, we need to, we need to operate. And they are like, we think there's like a 10 to 20% chance that it's cancer. I was like, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I find myself getting all of these MRIs because I, and I'm a huge claustrophobe. And so mm. getting MRIs. Those I are terrible. Have, have you? Yeah. 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 If, if you've had them, like they're not fun. And brain MRIs, they basically put your head in this plastic cage and kind of immobilize you. Um, so it was, it was, it was a kind of a terrifying experience. Um, but, you know, it was it was way more traumatic, I think, for Rand, like way mm. more traumatic for my husband. Um, I was kind of, you know, the way I say it is I was kind of going on a trip and he was waiting for me to come home. Mm. And that's always worse. Mm -hmm. um, on seeing actually what, because I'm assuming they probably shaved 
portion of your uh, hair. Yeah, they shaved they... they shaved a, a channel. They actually okay. did a really good job. Oh, that's cool. Um, but the hair that grows back now is curly in that <laughs> spot. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, they did they did an excellent job. But one of the things that happened in the you know I had I'd been talking to someone, um, and she said you know you should you should have a photo since you're going to have a metal plate in your head after surgery you should have a photo of edward furlong who was um john connor a young iteration of john connor from the terminator 2 movies Mm. i don't know if you guys remember this one i think it was terminator 2 judgment day okay and eddie furlong is the young version of john connor who the terminator is sent to uh, protect and also then the I can't remember which other iteration like there's a Terminator who's trying to kill him mm-hmm. too so yeah. Schwarzenegger is protecting him in this one and she's like it would be really funny if you woke up from your surgery and had a photo of Eddie Furlong and said have you seen this boy John Connor <laughs> I said that is brilliant that's so good so I wake up from brain surgery and I am I cannot, I can't actually describe. So when people, like, if you watch movies, have you guys ever been under anesthesia? Yeah. No. Okay. Did Tyler, you said you did. Did you? Oh, God, I got your name right, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> okay. It's brain that, surgery. like, fear of, like, oh. Well, I don't yeah. care. Like, I'm you on, got hers wrong. I'm on, so I, yeah, I I'm, on, I'm on mic now. So I was like, I said, that, I said that too effortlessly. And no, like, no, no, you're good. You're, okay. And I was like, oh, crap. That actually just happened to me yesterday. Okay. So don't even worry about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but did you wake up instantly? Uh, no, it was, it was kind of, it was a slow, steady ease. Yeah. 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 So they like movies and TV have completely lied to us about this where they're like, you suddenly wake up and you're like, where am I? What happened? (laughs) No, all of that. I'm going to tell you right now. None of that is true. You basically will drift in and out of consciousness. For me, it was for like like a week. Mm-hmm. It took me a week or maybe two weeks to actually wake up from brain surgery. Um, but the first few hours, like the first thing that happened is I woke up and I had no, virtually no like complications from surgery, but like my occipital lobe was like not working. Like, mm-hmm. so my eyes were fine, but I couldn't see, but this didn't bother me. Like that's how out of it I was. I was like listening to like, like, verbal like I was listening to things and I was talking to my doctor and he's like okay everything went well and I'm like cool 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 I can't see but (laughs) I didn't even think that was a big enough deal to bring up at the time Whoa! and I was able to see later it's just I was so out of it like I might not have had my eyes open too that could have been part of it that's how out of it I was so I get to the I get to the, I think I'm in the recovery room. So I get to finally see my husband and my mom, or maybe I'm in that. I can't remember where I am. I have no idea where I am. Like I have a hole in my head. It is the gnarliest thing ever. Um, And I say, Rand, I need my purse. And I say it with such gravitas. He's like, oh crap, this is something serious. So he runs and grabs my purse (laughs) and he gives it to me. And I'm rummaging through my purse and I can't, my eyes are not working still, right, right. but I find the photo Yeah, and I hold it up and I look at my husband and I say, you need to record this. And he, at this point, he's like, oh God, 
Like, she's serious. So he pulls out his camera. But in the time it takes him to pull out his camera, I passed out again. Like, I've just passed out. Well, my arm is up holding the photo of Edward Furlong, and I'm passed out. And he's like, I don't think that this is what you intended for me to record. Um, so I, I, I kind of snap. I'm like, are you recording? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, okay. And I look at him, and I go, have you seen this boy, John Connor? And there's silence. And Rand goes, is that it? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay. And I'm like, did you, did you think it was funny? And he goes, I have no idea what you are talking about right now. I have no, he's like, you are not making any sense. Oh, man. And I said. If it were only 10 years, you know, right earlier. Because yeah. it is, I mean, it is 2012 at this point. Right. Right? And I'm like, John Connor, the Terminator, because I have a metal plate in my head, which, let's be fair, is a pretty tenuous connection yes. to the Terminator yes. under the best of circumstances. <laughs> but it's made even more tenuous by the, by what my husband says to me next, which is, baby, you don't have a metal plate in your head. Uh, so all sad. that set up for a for joke nothing. that didn't land. Oh, yeah. so sad. Yeah. Well, it probably <laughs> made for a great video. Is that on the internet somewhere? That is not on the internet, um, but my husband, my husband had it on his phone, and my friend Mike saw it started laughing hysterically, and emailed it to himself. Nice. So, uh, yeah, my friend Mike King has it okay. somewhere. Okay. 40th, 50th birthday, that's going to come there out. There you go, oh, that's got to come out. Um, so you had, so you, but you had a brain tumor. I did. Okay. I was like this before is what I always tell people. Nice. Like, I was going to say, did this like impact your, uh, what, what's, what's the front, the prefrontal cortex or mm. anything like that? Like was there delayed decision making? Or? So, so a couple things that happened that I think are hilarious um, one is, as I remove my coat, I feel like I do have more trouble regulating my heat. This mm. could be incorrect. Um, immediately after brain surgery, all of your senses reset. Mm. And so my sense of hearing was fine, but my voice sounded strange to me. Mm. The way it echoed sounded strange. Uh, I was acutely aware of smells and tastes in a way that I hadn't been. So we were walking down the street, and it was uh, summer, and there was a lavender plant about two blocks down, and the smell was overpowering yeah. to me. So that was kind of strange. Mm. Um, and then there was a brief moment of time where, I don't know if you guys remember, in Austin Powers, he says, how do I explain because of the unfreezing process, I have no inner monologue. Yes. That completely happened. Ah, so I would truthful. blurt yeah. out, which wasn't radically different from Geraldine as she is now. Okay, I was going like, to Like, wasn't hugely different. Just follow you on Twitter, and that's basically what you were like. After, I have no filter yeah, okay. on a good day, but this was just to the, the nth degree. So that was, that was kind of terrible. Um, and... And I did, I I felt exhausted mm. by conversations in a way I hadn't. Like, I would just feel physically drained, mm. which is not in character or hadn't been. And I feel like that's remained, actually. Mm. Yeah. So there are times when it's I... It's time to wrap it up. No, no. I'm, I'm still an, ex, like, I'm still an extrovert, I think. Um, but there are times when if I am tired and I have to have a conversation, I just can't yeah. do it. And that... That freaked me out the first couple times that mm. happened because it was so out of character. Mm. Um, 
Well, speaking of headaches, yes, let's talk politics. Okay, sound like a plan? I oh boy, uh, yeah. I liked that transition. I was really proud of that. I think so. you should be. You get a gold star Thanks. for that transition. That. Yeah, um, yeah. So you're extremely active on social media. Yeah, um, <laughs> extremely active, extremely rageful. Yeah, <laughs> you you recently wrote wrote a blog post on everywhereist.com slash blog called Stop Telling Me to Stay in My Lane. Yes. There are no lanes anymore. Yes. Um, it seems that everywhere is, you know, is this comical, fun um, travel blog. Mm-hmm. You have a platform that you've built. Yeah. Um, and now it seems like you're using that platform to communicate against our current administration, which totally makes sense. But can you break that down for us? I mean, I think that that is a more noble uh attribution of what I am doing. I think in a lot of ways I'm just raging Mm. um, because the blog has always been like an emotional outlet. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that that is, I I mean, like I, I don't know that I am making insightful commentary against this administration. I think there are people who are doing that Mm -hmm. in really profound and wonderful ways. Um, I'm going to name drop them now. Um, so uh, I think John Favreau, Tommy Vietor, and John Lovett do a fantastic podcast called Pod Save America, mm-hmm. um, which I think is incredible. Uh, D. Ray McKesson does one called Pod Save the People, uh, which is also fantastic. Uh, my friend Lauren Duca writes a column for Teen Vogue called Thigh High Politics. Um, and she, Tucker Carlson seems to have a vendetta against her for whatever reason. I think he's in love with her. That's just my theory. Mm. Um, there are, there are people writing, uh, and doing fantastic work, um, on Twitter, um, uh, for, for, you know, legitimate news organizations. I am occasionally making jokes about the PP tape. Um, and raging on my own blog <laughs> when there is an intersection uh, between travel or my personal life and what is currently going on. And I do think I do think that there is a big overlap. I think if you do travel a lot, mm. you, especially if you're traveling to Europe, like you are going to be asked questions about what is going on in America. Mm. And those questions can range from everywhere from how does the electoral college work to what the hell is going on with your medical system and how do you not have mm. uh, socialized medicine mm-hmm. in the U.S.? So there's there's a large spectrum of things. And I think for me, I felt like I was being disingenuous if I didn't talk about these issues that now everyone is talking about. Mm-hmm. Um and I think there is this idea, you know, Rand gets it too, of people who say, well, I don't follow you to to hear your opinion on this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rand's response is always, like, he'll read a comment and somebody will say, I don't follow you to hear your views on politics, which Rand keeps the politics talk really light. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever he reads that, he'll just block them and he goes, and now you don't follow me at all, <laughs> uh, which is such a baller move. And I'm not quite at that point, mm-hmm. but... Um, I do think that we we start to assume that people, you know, if people are known for writing in a particular area or mm-hmm. if they are known for doing a particular thing, we start to assume that you know, all of their views, if we, if you like someone, you assume that all of their views align with yours. Mm-hmm. And if you right. find out that they don't, mm-hmm. it is a very 
frustrating experience, mm-hmm. right? Like, I love Magnum PI. Like, I think Tom Selleck, like, I mean, he's what, like, what a, he can rock the stash. That is hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and I disagree politically on so many things. And it, I'm incredibly annoyed because now I'm like, well, now how can I watch Magnum mm-hmm. PI? Like my, I don't like fundamentally I have problems now. Same thing right. with Charles in charge, like right. Scott Bayo. Like how, like we do not, right. we do not agree. But at the well, same, we, I think we disassociate the art too. Like, let me look at the Cosby show. It's now forever tainted. Right. right. And you know, for, for better or worse, that's what our culture does. Right. Is you, we stamp nope, you know, us right. and them on, on the art which, Which I just I personally disagree with, but I, I, this comes up between Rand and I a lot. It comes up with Gauguin. Mm-hmm. I think it was Gauguin. I could be wrong. Was he the one who went to to the Caribbean and basically was a child molester? Uh. I think it was Gauguin. Um, and we're like, well, do, can you dissociate the art from the artist? Mm, I see. And it, it does come up a lot. But what I think, and obviously that's that's kind of the more extreme version, right? right? Because these people are committing crimes, whereas this is just an expression of a political right, view. Right. Um, or even like uh, Martin Luther, who penned the 99 thesis on, sure. um, apparently he was one of the founding letter writers of uh, the uh, Holocaust, essentially. Like, yeah. Whoa, yeah, I am yeah. not familiar with that. I will have to. Heavy, heavy. There's there's writings of how he talks about Jews and that he calls them the outsiders and like provides a seven-step plan uh, as to how to deal with the, Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah totally. I so, yeah, I'll no, I I, t- I get what you're saying because again, like we see up. we see the impact that these people have, and then you see like again, you don't want to be on the wrong side of history, but I guess the question, my question is more: is there a middle ground? Um, and I I'm I'm more I'm a peacemaker. I don't know if you've ever taken the Enneagram uh, test, but it's like the different styles of. Are you like a your, middle child? Or I'm youngest? not. I'm, a, I'm youngest. Yeah. Um, so I was I was the rebel, but I am also. Uh, I like to mediate. I like to go in, mediate, mm-hmm. discuss, and then walk away, mm-hmm. and there be okay. There, mm-hmm. everyone at least shared their opinion in some capacity. Um, and so, I guess my question is: there a medium place where we don't just polarize each other? Right. If I if I drop the word climate change to my parents, immediately a wall goes up because of their socio their 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 cultural boundaries that they've set up. Um, but if I were to say like, hey, you were in Phoenix this past week and it was 119 degrees, that seems weird. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like that's that's more of a medium space that you can Is it? I'm so the wrong person yeah. to be asking about this because I'm like, no, climate change is real. It's a fact. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm the worst. Like your parents would hate me. No, they would. No, they would. You're super me. sweet Southern people. They would love you. They I'm would talk the- bad about you behind <laughs> your back, but- they would love you to your face. I mean, so, so here's... I'm joking. I love you, mom and dad. Um, so here's the thing. Like, I think... So I think there's a couple things, right? So first we need to look at, like, like there are people who fundamentally I disagree with, right? Mm. Like, and there's this idea that, like, we should not talk politics if we are not politicians. And I think that that's just bull, right? Like, I don't know if I can say bullshit yep. on your show. Sure. Yeah. That's just bullshit, right? Yeah. Because like you can't argue that people need to stay in their lanes when when literally the president is a former reality TV show mm-hmm. star, right? That that's a ridiculous argument. Um so we, I I do think we have 
I think we have a ton of polarization right now. I think there is a ton of conflict right now. Um, I do not see resolution because I am not one who will. Mm. I am not, like, I, I'm not the one to make that argument. Like, there are mm. people out there who are like, no, we need to talk. Like, we need to reach a you're, middle you're ground. You're a prophet, not a peacemaker, I guess. Yeah. Wow, that's a very noble way of putting it. I think I'm a person who rages on Twitter, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, I'm literally like... It's a platform. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm at the point where I'm like, no, like, I'm, I'm sorry, like, abortion should be legal. Mm. Like, I get that, like, you can have moral issues with it. Like, I personally, mm. like, am not, I have not made any conclusions as to the morality of mm -hmm. it, but it should be legal. Mm. Absolutely. Like, no question. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something I'm inflexible on. So I am not in a position to hear someone who disagrees. And so I am not... Mm. I am not the peacemaker. I am not the politician. I am not the one who is going to, I am not going to solve the problem. And that saddens me to say, but it, mm. it's also awareness of like, right now I am just pure rage mm. at what's going on. Yeah. Um, the interactions back and forth with people that follow you, do people interact and is it all positive or are people hating on you for what uh, you're saying? It, so... On the blog, on occasion, but for the most part, I think people have learned, like, I think for the most part, people know my views because they're not hidden. Um, on Twitter, Twitter does, I think it's called shadow blocking. Now that I have a verified account, so I don't see a lot of those comments anymore. Mm. I used to. I don't. There's only so many times, like, but I don't really, like, the number of times that I'm told you know, quote, drink bleach, you c Like, there's so many that I'm like, well, I missed one. Oh, darn. Like, right. like I know that, like, that's that's what, what Twitter is kind of uh, censoring out. Mm. So I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm so angry right now, and I think I'm so freaked out. Like, the, mm. you know, I'm someone for whom a pre-existing condition is a brain tumor, yeah. So I am, mm -hmm. I am going to go bankrupt if, if cat like if my brain tumor comes back and mm. you know certain and Obamacare is repealed. So mm. I'm like I'm pretty angry and mm -hmm. freaked out. So it's hard for me to to make any yeah logic from it. <laughs> so that's so much that that to me. So that that's the middle ground I think I'm trying to get to. Mm. That story is so much more compelling and profound to me. I'm not trying to say what you're doing is no, wrong no, by no. any means. But like you I just I I just got emotional because you told me about your your brain tumor and if right. it comes back you're going bankrupt. Right. To me that story resonates and again, I'm coming. I'm coming from a very conservative background, mm -hmm. so I mediate. You should see my Facebook feed. It is interesting. Oh, it must right? be. Um, it, I feel like it's a it's a social experiment for my brain to be like, what? you know. Um, and I I align politically way more with you than I do with them, but I also see the balance there. Which is, I right. mean, this is amazing, right? This is yeah. why you will. You are a far better person to bring out oh. what America should be. Like, I will not be that person, right? Like well, you, but I, but your, a less story, your story, though, <laughs> yeah, way less because I'm, because I'm down the middle, right? Exactly. I'm gray if you follow my Twitter. <laughs> um, 
anyways, that being said, like your story is profound and that that is impactful for you to say, hey, guys, guess what? If Obamacare is repealed, this is how it impacts my life, right? And again, don't hear me saying what you're saying is is wrong. Right, I right, love right. No, no, your, no. But there Twitter. are some. There's like there are some stories that alienate, and there are mm-hmm. some that, that that open people's eyes. Yeah. And I, my husband is one who will open people's eyes. Like mm. he will calmly talk to people, and you are, and I am. Pour gasoline and light them out. <laughs> yeah. I am. And the story, like, there is, I mean. And we need, we need those, though. We need those people in in order to get shit done. That is like, who we need I, I mean, that is who I am. I don't know if, if it's necessary, but that is who I am. Yeah. And so, like, the, I mean, like, with the brain surgery, like, the ACA, ACA protections, like, there's articles on it, like, radically changed for uh, life for people with with brain tumors or or uh, pre existing conditions of that nature, um, but my my surgery cost five thousand dollars out of pocket, mm. which for me was a bargain. I tell yeah. my friends in Europe and they clutch their hearts. Right. Um, the negotiated rate that my insurance paid was fifty six thousand dollars. Oh god, that's just for the surgery. Yeah. I had follow up MRIs. I had a bunch of other stuff. I had you know that's just the lump of the surgery. The un negotiated amount would have been, and I know this because a friend of mine had, uh, he unfortunately has passed away now, but he had brain surgery uh, for brain cancer. Um, and they messed up his insurance. So he originally got a bill, which he, he ended up getting it taken care of, but he, you know, is, was clutching his heart because the bill was $200,000. Mm. And you can't go to an emergency room for that. Yeah. Like, you can't go to an emergency room and say, I have a brain tumor. Please take care of it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how it works. The best you can do is, like, find a doctor who will, you know, neg- if you can negotiate, like, okay, I can pay this much. What can we do? Um, but you're going to go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you yeah. are. Um, and we argue that the government doesn't have an obligation. I think the biggest argument that people make is the government doesn't have an obligation to to give people health care. And mm-hmm. I disagree with that fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Connecting your politics and your travels. Do you f- when you're abroad? Do you feel like you have to apologize for anything, or or you, you had a blog post about <sighs> yeah talking, saying you're Canadian rather than American? Right, right, right. That a lot of people joke about how they say they're Canadian, and I I resolutely don't. Like mm-hmm. I say I'm American. Mm-hmm. I I have found that people are not angry right now. People are very empathetic in a way that I've never seen. Um, you know, I was telling some friends about like how how our government works, how the electoral college works, how medical care works. Um, and they were like, you've got to be kidding me. They, I mean, it was baffling. Like try explaining to someone who's under the national health care system um, that you have to pay obscene amounts of money for health care. And it just, you know, so I found that people were, were very sympathetic in a way that I hadn't seen. And I think the last time I remember... Oh, no, I don't want to say that. Never mind. I was going to say it, it's been a while since I've seen that kind of empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, but yeah, it. I, I don't apologize. I don't think, I. what I think people understand now is that the, a country is not its leadership. Mm. So 
Yeah. That's absolutely true. I was yeah. in DC a few weeks ago visiting my sister. And so we had an afternoon to walk through all the monuments and, mm-hmm. um, and you just feel this like expansive, um, you just feel the history there. Yeah. Yeah. And you go to the world war two monument and you, you can just, you just, it's like very clear that presidents come and go policy comes and goes, but like our country is, um, uh, totally different and way deeper than whoever's in power, whoever the leaders are. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think what, I think one of the things that I have tried to hold on to, which has been interesting is like, I am patriotic. Like I, mm. I love, like I am an American and I'm probably one of the first people in my family who said that, right? Like I was born here. I'm the first person, like my brother was born in Germany. Mm. My father was born in Russia. My mother was born in Italy. I was born in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So I am, I feel staunchly American. My father, um, you know. Well, that's the American story too, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. My father, you know, was going to get sent to the gulags as a kid, um, managed to make it to across Europe as a child, managed to make it to Germany, was in a displaced persons camp in Germany during World War II, which is better than the other camps that were going on in Germany, but still Mm -hmm. not great. Um, Eventually made it to New York, joined the U.S. Air Force, uh, worked for U.S. intelligence for his entire life, essentially. Worked for, uh, yeah, worked for the Department of Defense for 40, 50 years. Um, So he spoke half a dozen languages. He lived in Germany for 35, 40 years. Um, he'd lived all over the world. And if you asked him what he was, like this Russian born man who lived in Europe said, I am an American. Mm. Um, so I feel very, I feel very tied to this country. Like I, Mm. I feel like very patriotic in a lot of ways. And I think that there's this idea that if you're a liberal, you can't be like that you are ashamed of your country. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, I am not. I like I am angry at what is going on right now because I believe in what America can be and what it is not. Mm-hmm. So so I'm not ashamed. I'm just like, what the hell is going on, you guys? Like, let's <laughs> yeah. get our act together. Oh, that's good. It's good. Um, okay, so we've got a couple of questions for you. We, yeah. This, this has been a long interview, but it's been a really good interview. Okay, so, I feel ter- like I'm uh, usually funny. I used to be on. funny, no, you no, guys. no. This is like the real, like gritty, <laughs> good stuff. So thank you for that. So, okay. um, so the question I've got for you is: um, so after you've gone to so many different places, I have. right? Yeah, you've been oh. all over the world. Um, is there still a place that you would like to visit? Yeah, that's super cheesy. I wanted to go for our honeymoon, and we didn't because um, we were broke when we got married. Uh, but Rand and I talk all the time about going to Niagara Falls. Ah. I really want to go. I've yeah. never seen it. I think it would be fun. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Um, so you're you're kind of on book promotion tour, right? I am. I am a little bit schlepping this book. Actually, we should talk later after this wraps up. Maybe we can uh, talk about doing. A giveaway to one of your listeners. We would or, love to yeah. do that, actually. That'd oh, be okay. great. Yeah. Um, so does Rand get to tag along with you now? 
He has on occasion. Um, so he just, he came down with me. I had to go to Portland. <laughs> so we don't go to super glamorous places. But he came with me to Portland while I did some TV appearances and did a reading down there. Um, and there have been a few instances where, I think the, there was one time that we went in New, to New York and I just had meetings back to back to back and Rand was like well I guess I'll go explore the like Lower East Side for pizza <laughs> so we've started to switch and I really hope I really hope we get to the point where uh, you know he's like I supported him and he supported me and now I'd like to get back to supporting him mm. I want I want the wheels to turn in that direction could he again. like write a guest post on Everywhereist or something or does I would he do love that for him time? too yeah. he never has no he's a witty guy he's a witty writer. he is clever like yeah. he can be clever he's very yeah clever. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Very. he can be funny sometimes yeah. without meaning to be but yeah that's, that's cool <laughs> well um the last two questions we ask every single person okay. who comes on. It might uh, be tough for you to make these funny. I don't know. Okay. That's true. Um, and we kind of hinted on them at the very beginning of the episode. Okay. But, and it, so, if, so if we're repeating any information, that's fine. Okay. Uh, but the first question is, what is your biggest hope for Seattle as a city? Oh, wow. Wow. Um. I think, I mean, the word that I can, the only word I can think of is accessibility. Mm. Like, I want Seattle to be accessible. Mm-hmm. I want it to be accessible to to people of different incomes. And I want it to be accessible for people who, who are not white. I want it mm-hmm. to be accessible uh, for people who need wheelchair accessibility. Mm-hmm. I just, I want it, I... I don't want us to be a town of rich white people. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, and that's countered by what is what's your biggest fear. So it sounds like that we become a the, town full of rich white people. Oh, I think, I mean, I think that we, yeah, I think that just that we lose, you know, we, we have such a tenuous hold on whatever little diversity that we have. Mm-hmm. I hope we don't lose that. Um, and I think my, I think my biggest fear is seeing the city turn into something that would cause me to leave. Like mm. I'm, I travel the entire world and I keep coming back here because this is home to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm so afraid of, of it not being home mm-hmm. and it not feeling like home. And I, it, there are days when it definitely does not. And I'm very scared of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's very scary. Yeah. That's good. Well, Geraldine, we are so thrilled that we are introduced to you. Um, oh, thank you so much for having me. We love your work. Um, if we were to direct our audience to a few spots, probably your blog and your book, is that right? Yeah, so uh, the website is Everywhere I-S-T, so it's all one word, so it's everywhereist.com. Um, I'm on Twitter as uh, under the same handle. It's at Everywhereist. Uh, I'm on Instagram as the Everywhereist. What punk got Everywhereist? Uh, you're looking at her. She forgot the login. Ah, and Rand doesn't know somebody on Instagram. I Come on. I mean, like we then we. I don't know. It was a whole thing. I never thought. <laughs> I never thought Instagram was gonna go anywhere. I just didn't. Oh, I didn't man. think that was gonna happen. Um, and then the book is called All Over the Place: Adventures in Travel, True Love, and Petty Theft. It is. It is on sale online for a song. You can get it on Amazon in hardcover. Listen to, I mean, listen to this. 
Yep, that is hardcover. That is legit for, I believe, 1368 right now, okay. which, come on, that's literally less than the wholesale price that I can get it from my publisher. Um, and just let me say this. I'm not a laugh out loud kind of guy. I'm sort of like the internal chuckle kind of guy. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Sitting, I knew that about you. I was I sitting on my couch last night with my wife, and I was reading this and prep for this, and I would sort of like chuckle out loud. And she looks over at me and like, what are you reading? <laughs> so it really is funny and witty, and it's it's awesome. See, so. I elicited a, a chuckle out loud from, <laughs> from Phil. From Phil. Yeah. Yeah. Who's got a drama book inside him somewhere. Yeah, Do you know. really? Can we know. take a minute to have you? T- I know the show's running long. Can, <laughs> yeah. we, can we take a minute to have you talk about your book i have no i have no nothing written down or anything the uh, twinkle in your eyes suggests otherwise well so i um i always thought what would be easy would be you know a non-fiction business book or something that's what pretty much all i ever read um one of my favorite authors growing i always read stephen king oh wow yeah because uh you know every adolescent boy wants to like learn about pet cemetery and things like that um so i have you read his memoir I have not. No. I feel like I've mentioned the, this every other episode memoir, or yeah. something, but yeah. it's one of my favorite books uh, ever. And he's inspired me to like, just, I like the craft of writing, even if I don't get to do it very often. I was an English major. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think I've shifted to like coming up with, I, I have some ideas for a nonfiction or sorry for a fiction, fictional I, story. Like whole worlds in your brain. I just yeah. want to, I just want to. I have some like them. depressing thoughts about salesmen, um, kind of like a modern day death oh, of a salesman. Oh, thing. I like wow. it. Yeah, I <laughs> death of a salesman comes up a lot in my life. Uh, yes, <laughs> a lot. It yeah, in in my in, in Rand's life. Um, I absolutely think you should write it. I I no longer think that books are these crazy attainable thing unattainable things. Mm. I think they are shockingly attainable. Um, and so I think here's what I think you should do. I think you should write yourself a letter that you send to yourself in two years. Okay. And it says, I hope you at least have a rough draft by now. <laughs> Four-year-old Gerald, Geraldine. Or fourth is, grade, yeah. yeah. For, fourth grade, yeah, that's yeah. right. No, she was a hard ass. Well, that is some fantastic uh, wisdom to end <laughs> on. So, Geraldine, thank you so much. Thank we really you. do appreciate it. Appreciate oh. your work. Appreciate your voice. Thank you for being Keep here. Keep being thank that voice. Yeah. Because uh, we need them. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Oh, thank you. Rise Seattle was produced and recorded by the very talented Brett Baird. Special thanks to Bravery Music for our intro and outro music. You can contact us and find all of the show notes and episodes on our website, Rise Seattle Podcast. You can also connect with us on social, Instagram and Twitter, at The Rise Seattle, and use hashtag Rise Seattle to be part of the conversation. Please subscribe to our podcast and write us a very nice five-star review on iTunes. We would be grateful. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks for our next episode.